Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. I guess the question is, are we in a recession? What is a recession? Jerry Boyer is back with us. Jerry's a regular guest on our show. He's host of the podcast, The Maker Versus the Takers. Uh, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics, his new book, uh, Meeting of the Minds, is his podcast. And Jerry is with us right now. And Jerry, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm fine, but it looks like somebody's missing. What gives? What's the deal? She has vertigo. She has vertigo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's one Benign of those things. Vertigo? Well, it, it kind of comes and goes, but it's been, she's had it forever and ever and ever. Yesterday at the end of the show, she was like, I'm feeling a little weird. This morning, Kath woke up and said, she, she texted and said, oh yeah, uh, uh, she, it makes her really ill. So the good news is, like I said, she goes to the doctor, they spin her in a chair and then they stop the chair quickly. And apparently it moves the crystals in her ear back to some semblance. So we'll see. So does she do the Epley maneuver? Do you know what the Epley maneuver is? No. What is that? Well, there's a, like there's a bunch of things you do where you have to get like the crystals back, mm, you yes. know, in place. Yes. And I guess if that doesn't work, they do the spinny thing. Okay. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I do know that she did do the spinny thing. So she did the spinny yeah. thing. Okay. <laughs> right. So we'll, well see. You know, the, the whole the whole economy is doing the spinny thing. We need an Epley. <laughs> maneuver for our macroeconomic outlook. Yeah. Stop the world. We, I want to get vertigo. off. We, yeah. we had a bubble and that's the vertigo. And then you come crashing down and we feel sick to our stomach. <laughs> not to make light or no. not, to, not to turn Kathy's um, pain into a, into a metaphor. Well, for the she's economy, used to it. I, I mean, you know, yeah, right. okay. this kind of comes to the territory, Jared. You know, it's what it is to be on the radio. Everything's show prep, right? Right. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Okay. So, Jared, talk about what is a recession, I guess, is, is point A. And point B, are we in a recession? Six months or more, half a year or more of economic contraction is a recession. Okay. So if the economy gets smaller for two quarters in a row, What's that quarters? Well, three months is a quarter, right? So two of those is six months. So if you have six months in a row where the economy is getting smaller, that's a recession. Uh, Now, the White House put out something a few days ago because they knew this was coming. They knew knew Thursday they were going to get a number and that number would have a little negative sign in front of it rather than a little positive sign. We we knew all that. Okay, so they knew that. So they kind of went out there and kind of pre-spun. Um, and said, well, just because you have two quarters in a row of negative economic growth, two quarters in a row uh, of, of um, uh, contraction, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a recession. Recession is a complicated thing that involves a number of factors. And there's an official scorekeeper, the National Bureau for Economic Research, and they're the ones who decide what if, what's officially a recession. Well, that's, not, that's just not true. Uh, first of all, the dictionary defines a recession, two quarters in a row of, of negative economic growth. Second of all, the law does. If you search in the U.S. code for recession, in there is the definition. Guess what it is? Two quarters or more in a row of negative economic growth. Also, you know, we've talked about futures markets where you can go in and bet on who's going to be president or who's going to control Congress. You can also do that on will there be a recession? So how do you know if you won? Well, you know, in the contract, the definition is, two quarters or more in a row of negative economic growth. 
So that's what it is. Okay. The National Bureau of Economic Research is a group of prominent economists, a private group. They have their opinion, and they're widely cited, but they have no official role. How do I know? Because I called them <laughs> and asked them. Uh, in 2008, because people were attacking me because in early 2008, I said, we're not in a recession yet because we only had one quarter of negative growth. And then there were a bunch of stories like Jerry Boyer is an idiot. He said, we're not in a recession, uh, but he couldn't have got it more wrong. Uh, so I thought I kind of got you know defensive about it. Sure. Why not? Because the National Bureau of Economic Research said the recession started in the beginning of 2008. But the second quarter was positive. So I called and said, hey, everyone says you're the official arbiter of of, um, recessions. How'd you get that title? I don't know. Could you look into it? Sure. So she called me back and she said, well, there's no actual official thing. There's no act of Congress. There's nothing in the regulations, There's no presidential thing. We're just when the when the uh, Commerce Department puts out its monthly report, it uses our little recession bars. It uses our dating, but there's nothing official. I see. So what's official is the dictionary. Plus, you know what? Everybody knows we're in a recession. Anybody who does not stand to lose their job if they lose an election and everyone who's like in touch with reality all the shoppers, all the people who are in the economy, not people who are in politics, they all know we're in a recession. Okay. We're in a recession. That's yes. the bottom line. Okay, yeah. so then if we're in a recession, uh, I'm going to take a giant leap here. How yeah. far away are we from uh, a depression? Pretty far, I think, um, not like in the short run. Um, so it's depressions are kind of hard to get into. You got to do a lot of like really bad, stupid things. Okay. Plus, we kind of just had one. By all reasonable standards, the contraction when we shut down the whole economy yeah. under COVID, that was de- a depression is 10 percent or more shrinkage. We had a 30 percent shrinkage. So you generally don't have depressions like once you have a depression, then you just you don't have a depression again right away, um, you know, because you know, you're kind of bouncing back. We're still kind of recovering from that. So I don't think we are in a recession on our way to a depression. I think we're in a recession on our way out of the recession into a time of long term mm. stagflation, low growth, but not necessarily negative, high inflation, but not necessarily like nine or 10 percent a year in a 1970s scenario. Okay. Frankly, I'd rather have a short depression than a lost decade. Because, you know, when you have a deep recession you know, or it's kind of it's painful and then you're out of it, you kind of get back on track. Yeah. But this like long period of people essentially like a whole generation never really having a career, you know, people who came online economically like during 2009, young people, they never really had a, 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 a real career path. They never really had a growth story or not, or not much of one. That's the thing that's really corrosive. And that concerns me. I see. And also, if we're, if that's the situation we're in with debt levels as high as they are, we we actually could suffer a severe crisis in several years, hmm. like the European debt crisis. You remember that? Yeah. Um, you know, or other countries have had essentially collapses. We haven't had anything like that really since the founding, since just before the founding. You know, that's becoming more plausible, not just now, but the, the kind of thing that talk radio has been talking about for 30 years but never happened. Sure. You know, the kind of Glenn Beck scenario, those th- that used to be kind of kook territory. Um, not anymore. I, it's something we need to seriously think about, say, maybe if, a few years out from now, having a serious crisis. Okay. So. 
the bad news is maybe not a recession, but as you're saying, just a long, long stretch forward of the blahs, kind of mushy, not so great. But, you know, you're old enough. I'm old enough. We've been here before. Eventually, we're going to find ourselves out of this. I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday. He was saying, you know, uh, interest rates. He said his first house, I think it was back like in the uh, the 70s, uh, he was thrilled to get like a 10.5% interest rate when he bought his house. And, you know, now, heck, we've been in this period where there's been, you know, zero or 2 or 3%, 4%. Uh, we're a long way from that. Yes, and the problem is that that two or three percent, those two or three percent mortgage rates, are a distortion um, because the the the, re, the interest rates aren't that low because that's the market rate, or because we're good savers, um, you know, or because we're putting down big the you know um, a, a hand money or a sure. down payments. It's there because the the government is pumping money into the housing market to keep it alive. Um, and the problem with that is what happens when they stop pumping money? Mm-hmm. It collapses. And they have stopped pumping money. And it is kind of collapsing, right? So th- that's, a, that's the problem. A low interest rate is a great thing if you earn it. Yeah. How does a country earn a low interest rate? By being big savers. I mean, think about the logic of it. If most people are savers and not borrowers, that's readily available money yeah. for lending. In the bank. That means interest rates are lower. But if most people are borrowers, not savers, that's demand for credit, and that makes high interest rates. But what happens is when the government comes in and says, you know what, we are not savers, we are spenders, but we're going to push the interest rate down. It's basically like a skinny mirror. It makes it look like we've earned these low interest rates, but there's no magic. Something has to give. You're not creating wealth. You're creating a bubble. And we created a housing bubble, and we created a tech stock bubble. You know, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, we created these bubbles. We created a streaming bubble. Um, we've, we've created a healthcare bubble. We've created a college bubble. So we've created all of these bubbles. And then, then we get all this inflation. And so the central bank says, well, what are we going to do? Well, to get rid of the inflation, we have to deflate the bubble. But if we deflate the bubble, that's a crash, and we don't want that. And that's the dilemma they're in right now. I see. Talking to Jerry Boyer, he's an economist. His book is called The Maker Versus the Takers. Okay, Jerry, so yesterday, uh, the Democrats, you know, talking about build back better, that fell apart. But then Joe Manchin yesterday, surprises, surprises, he does a flip-flop and says, you know, I'm going to do the build back better thing. It's going to be renamed something else. But his reasoning for doing this is that he wanted to slow inflation. I mean, what is that? even mean well it just means that there's something they wanted to do and they polled people and found out what the pain points were and then they took the thing that they always wanted to do they they took the thing that they've been wanting to do for 10 years a giant public works project thing and then went to the focus group and said what are you worried about and grabbed that i see and put that label remember those sticky things where you put a label on something they simply put anti-inflation label on a pro-inflation spending plan that they've been wanting to do for a long time. Hmm. So it's manipulation and it's cynical. By the way, it's not just the Dems. Everyone does it, right? Everyone does this. But this is not an inflation solution. By subsidizing the prices of some things like healthcare or drugs, you're not lowering the price of those things. You're raising the price of those things. Um, the government heavily subsidizes college education, right? There's all these 
national grants you get. Has the price of college education been going up or down right. in, in, in your generation? Skyrocketed. Generation? Skyrocketed. So subsidizing a thing does not cause the price to go down. It causes the price to go up. All it does is as the official price is going up, you get a little discount where the government gives you a little like where we're going to give you a little token so you don't get all of the price increase. Mm-hmm. But the cost of that is they do that with newly created money. So the price of everything goes up. Inflation is not when your gas uh, when filling up your gas tank goes up. Inflation is not when the price of ground beef goes up. Inflation is when the price of everything goes up. See, in, in, in the economy at any given time, you know, let's say there's mad cow disease, beef gets more expensive. But everything doesn't get more expensive, just beef. Or you've got a war in the Middle East, then gas prices go up. But not everything goes up. You know, that's a gas thing. Yeah. When the price of pretty much everything is going up, that's what inflation is. And by creating extra money, but then helping you with one particular kind of bill, while the price of everything else goes up, that's not stopping inflation. That's taking your wish list and trying to call it an anti-inflation measure. I and see. it's not going to work. Okay, so then all that you know, pandemic money that was just flowing out of Washington, D.C., all those checks that everybody received and small businesses and whatnot, millions and billions of dollars, was trillions. that? Trillions. Trillions. So the- I wish it was billions. So I wish it was only billions. Those trillions right. then, did that yes. set the stage for where we are? Yes, trillions in spending and several trillions in newly created money. Um, I mean, we, we increased the monetary base, like that base money that the Fed creates. Yeah. We, that, it didn't go up 10%. It didn't go up 100%. It went up 500%. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We quintupled the money supply. And then the Fed came along and said, mm, it's getting a little out of hand. We need to have a little tough love here. And so what they did is they looked at that 500% money supply increase and said, oh, we're going to knock 2% off. (laughs) They quintuple, you know, the money supply. And then they take tiny and look how the markets reacted earlier this year. Even that was like, oh, no, the world is ending. Don't don't cut off my morphine, you know, and markets were collapsing and it triggered a recession. That's how fragile and vulnerable we were. So you say, you know, what do we do? What you do is you never create the bubble in the first place. Once you've created the bubble, there's no easy way out. Just like in life. I mean, you can, if there are like four or five really bad decisions that you make in your life, you get to the point where there's no good decisions left. Mm. You, You can get to the point in your life where all you have is like, very, very bad options or just regular bad options, because that's the way the world, that's the way God made the world. There are implications to our decisions. So we have made several very bad decisions to the point where there is no soft landing available to us. And now we're paying what, the price. What's happening is the central bank is basically going to say, we'll trigger a recession. That's what they've done. We're going to fight inflation somewhat, but we're not going to beat it because we know the American people are not willing to take the pain of really beating inflation. So they're muddling through. So, Jer, if the recession is here and you're, you know, like a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck and what you're saying is, you know, a long period ahead of mush and uh, just, you know, general malaise. uh, Are there any tips to surviving all this? Sure. Um, but work, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Yeah, go to work. Go to work. 
Um, and so what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that the labor participation rate is quite low mm. uh, right now, which means that there are fewer, a, a lower percentage of Americans working than probably any other time, at least since we've been keeping data. Why is that? Um, well, part of it is age. Okay. Right. Part of it is, however, that um, there might be a shift in work ethic. Uh, and part of it is that there is the, the social safety net has become a little bit more of a hammock mm. <laughs> in some sense, you know, where you can get unemployment benefits extended and you can get other forms of aid. So people are, you know, are responding to incentives. So in many cases, if you get off government aid into the workforce, your after tax income goes down. Really? Um, so that can be really, you know, a bad thing. Um, but, you know, I've been saying this for a couple of years. Let me repeat it. We have a labor shortage. This is the time to get a job. Get a job. Keep the job. Be the best at the job um, and get promoted in the job yeah. and don't let go. Um, and there's a lot of people I, you know, I can think of people I gave advice to. They said, well, now's probably a time to go to school and get maybe often a useless degree. Well, that's a shame because the past three, four, five years, you could have been rising through the ranks because the best at this point, the thing that increases your earnings the most is not a college degree. The thing that increases your earnings the most is working and doing a good job. Mm -hmm. That's how you get the increase. Now, I've got nothing against college, but uh, there's a lot of great jobs that don't require college, that don't require the debt, and we shy away from those. So I would say the, the same thing still applies. Work. Get a job, keep a job, work, work hard at it. I think we need to work on the work ethic. And I think the church can be kind of a, a leader in this um, because the Bible says that filling the earth and subduing it is one of the reasons man was created. Hmm. Work is of the essence of human nature, according to the Bible. And I've often noticed sometimes in the Christian subculture, there's a tendency to deride work in favor of other things. You know, like making sure you're there every Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and, you know, even making sure you never miss a Little League game, et cetera. Yeah. Hey, Little League games are great and church is great, but you know what? Work is really important. Yeah, show up. And we got to kind of show up, show up and work hard and be better so that when we have a recession and they say, I got to lay somebody else, they got to lay somebody off. Be the last person on the list good. that gets laid off. That's a, that's that's how you prepare for that. Work hard and be productive. Excellent. Another thing you can do is bargain hunt. You might have to shift your standard of living. So maybe you like Starbucks, and but Starbucks is there's a big markup on Starbucks. Making your own coffee is actually pretty inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take that long. I do a little coffee dance in the morning. Yeah. It takes me about 30 seconds, push the button, and it's an 80% markdown from Starbucks. Maybe you buy a cheaper brand of coffee because really, can you really tell the difference? No. I, I can't, no. so why do I do that? Instead of ground beef, instead of steak, maybe it's ground beef. Instead of ground beef, maybe it's ground turkey. Instead of ground turkey, maybe it's ground chicken. Uh, so you know, do some bargain hunting. So some people will say, well, I, you know, I can't do anything. I'm fixed income. I can't work hard or I'm retired. Yeah. Are you so retired you can't start a garden? Mm-hmm. A garden is a really good inflation hedge in two ways. So what I did is I looked at the stuff that I like to buy at the store that I can grow that's expensive. I really like asparagus. Asparagus is a little pricey. Yep. So I thought, I'll buy asparagus. I really like spaghetti squash. Spaghetti squash, it's, it was a little pricey. I didn't quite like paying that price, so I grow it. I like some fancy mushrooms. You know, like not just like the white button mushrooms, sure. some other mushrooms are a little more expensive. 
to buy, but they're not expensive to grow. So I'm growing those. You got to know what you're doing. Fabulous. So, you know, do some, plus it's like, it's like redemptive. I could sit there and watch Fox news, 9% inflation, 10% inflation, hundred percent inflation. <laughs> you can just like raise your blood pressure yeah. or you can turn off the blooming box, not this box. Of course you can turn off the cable news box, get out in the sunlight and grow things. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that asparagus prices go down so what that you grew some asparagus? You got sunshine and fresh air and a little exercise. Fabulous. So, you know, those are actual practical things. I'm doing them. Excellent. Um, so they're not impossible. And I'm a busy person. So anybody, almost anybody, except someone who's like maybe really aged or disabled, almost anyone can do those things. Very good. Now, so I, what, I hear what you're saying. We become a little, a little um, lazy, you think? I think there is a decline in the work ethic. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cultural wide thing. I think it is multi-generational. I've heard a lot of people who are older say, well, these young people today, they don't mm-hmm. want to work. Yeah. And then I look at the data on people age six, 60 to 70, and their labor participation rate is, is falling too. Mm. In fact, when we had the COVID shutdowns, what happened is a lot of 60-year-olds got out of the labor market and never came back in. That was the great resignation, yeah? The great resignation. And it's not just young, lazy Zoomers who who we can complain about them and their selfies and their rumble seats and (laughs) all their young people things that bother us. It is all the generations are participating in it, and there's a lot of early retirement. Mm -hmm. So, frankly... Look, I'm sick. I'm, I'm about to turn 60. Yeah. I don't plan to stop working in five years. That Good. is in, Unless there's some health problem, that is inconceivable to me. There's no law that says you have to stop working at 65. You get bored, so, don't you? I would get bored sitting at home at 65. I agree. And if we've got a labor shortage and if there's inflation, it'll help you meet ends meet, help you make ends meet. So one of the things you can do to deal with inflation is raise your earnings. Yes. And one of the ways to raise your earnings is to get a second second job. Yes, you can get a second job or ask for overtime. Or if you're early retired, get unearly retired and come back in. Or if you're retired, you can still work a certain amount and not threaten your Social Security. So, yeah, really, the solution, the economic solution in the Bible is really clear. It always has been work hard, underspend. That has always been the biblical economic program. We just forgot it, and now we're living the consequences of that. Very good. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the pain at the pump, because it it clearly is very real. Um, Some of the oil companies released their earnings today. They were at record highs. Where's the disconnect? Because people say, well, you know, the barrel, right, the, 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 the price of a barrel of oil, $110, $125. I mean, I remember that. And it wasn't, you know, at 460 or 475 a gallon, but now it is. So is this price gouging by the big oil companies or are there other things in play? There's other things in play because everything is is going up. So this is government monetary policy and supply disruptions. Um, so, I mean, I, I never understand the argument which tries to blame inflation on greed. Mm. And the thing I don't get about that is, do you think that these corporations are only greedy sometimes? No. Right. I mean, when oil was $40 a barrel, weren't they greedy then? Yes. They were greedy then, but they couldn't sell oil for more than $40 a barrel. Hmm. Why? Because there was low demand and we didn't have inflationary policies yet. So businesses charge as much as they can for a product and consumers pay as little as they can for a product. And when those two numbers overlap, it's called equilibrium and that can go up or go down. But if it's going up in general, 
That's because the dollar has lost its purchasing power, not because business has suddenly gotten greedy. I see. So, you know, um, when, when, when you have deflation, what happens? Oil companies go bankrupt because we don't because the price has gone down. So this this greed thing is really very selective. You know who's greed? You know when Reagan debated Jimmy Carter, he said uh, Carter says the that we have inflation in 1980 obviously yeah. because the gov- because the people are living too well, we're, we're spending too much uh, or corporate greed. He mentioned that as well. Reagan said, "No, we have inflation because the government is living too well." Hmm. The government prints money so that it has money so that it can spend money. That's why we have inflation. The ruling class, but by the way, it's not just government. The, the big New York City, New York money center banks, they run the plumbing. Like the government doesn't run the plumbing on that money. You know, you know they, they essentially have the Fed, which is under their control. Sure. But, the, but the banking system kind of runs the system for them. They outsource the quantitative easing and all that. They don't do it themselves. They use BlackRock, for instance, to do that. So, they're, so they are running the plumbing system. So the ruling class, government branch and high finance branch, they're the beneficiaries of this. So it's not corporate greed in general. It's essentially bad government policy. I see. But th- it is corporate greed to some degree. I mean, right? I mean, people want to make as much money as possible. So that's just how it is. Right. People want to make as much money as possible. The more competitive when we have sound money and competitive markets, then that is the that stops their greed. That puts a limit. They always want as much money as possible. Of course. But here's the thing. If you could wave a wand and you would pay 50 cents um, a, a, a gallon of gas, you would do that, right? Yes. I mean, you right. Are you greedy no. for wanting to so underpay them? Right. You want to pay deal. as little as you can, yeah. and they want to charge as much as they can. <laughs> the point isn't greed. Yeah. It, what, what Adam Smith pointed out a long time ago is that God created the world, Providence created the world in a certain way so that when you don't have the government debasing the currency and choosing sides, that greed is like limited. The system limits greed. So they get too greedy and someone else comes in and says, well, I figured out a better way to refine oil. And then they come into the market and there's competition. You know, I mean, that's what John D. Rockefeller did. John D. Rockefeller came in and cut the price of oil 90 percent. So was that greed? No, that was the invisible hand of Providence using competition to drive things down. But when government basically favors like gigantic corporations over everybody else and they keep competition out, then the greed is enabled rather than restrained. I see. Very good. Hey, Jer, uh, our time's up. But before you leave us, talk to us about Meeting of Minds. I would imagine, you know, what you're doing here right now is in the same thing on your podcast. Yes, exactly. Same kind of same kind of topics. Well, really, anything I want to talk about. That's the wonderful thing about the podcast. No one gave me, you know, so it doesn't have to be news. It can right. be ancient Greek. It can be Hebrew. It can be math. It can be economics. It's whatever I, whatever I want to talk about, which I really enjoy. Fabulous. Mostly it's about corporations and not their greed. But the way they become politicized, that's the thing. I'm not worried about corporations being greedy. Yeah. Their greed can be an incentive. I'm worried about them getting so hung up on politics that they want to take a bow. And so they go out and fight against the rights of the unborn so they can get credit you know, from some you know, from some left wing activists. That's mainly what I'm concerned about. Corporations choosing the wrong side in a culture war is kind of my main focus right now. Very good. Jer, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 
It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.